Hey listeners, my name is Elisha, the founder of the Witnesses Podcast. It's so beautiful to have you listening to our podcast. And I want you to know something that that means a whole lot to me. Thank you for tuning in. And one thing I love to tell all of our listeners is, it's not just about you listening, but listening to understand. Understanding is the most important thing. So important. So, you have to listen, learn, and practice. Thank you so very much and happy listening. Hi, Curry. It's nice to have you on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. It's great to be here, Elisha. That's so good. Okay, so before we begin with your um, introduction, you know, oftentimes I love to talk about the essence of the show, which is to invite amazing guests, amazing guests like Curry, who have triumphed over one challenges or another. We invite them to come talk to us about their stories because we believe that in our audience, there might be someone who is tucked up in a situation that Curry came out of triumphantly. So for that reason, that person or people listening to you speak, they might pick an information that would actually transform their lives. So that's the essence of this show. All right, so within the next few minutes, Curry, let us get started with your story, the challenges that you face and how you overcame them. And afterwards, I've got some really beautiful questions to ask you. <laughs> sure. All right. Sure. Let's begin. So I, I, I grew up in British Columbia, Canada. Um, and I grew up in a circumstances where when a lot of people think of Canada or the United States, they think of very prosperous places. Um, and the truth of the matter is that they are very prosperous places. But I did not grow up in prosperity. I grew up um, for... Um, several years homeless. We were very, very poor. Um, we lived in the forest way up on a mountain in a, in a little log cabin with no electricity or, or anything like that. My brother and I had to bathe in the waterfall. Uh, this is not normal Canadian living or, or American living, but it was my reality growing up. And, um, and the, uh, by God's grace, you know, there, I know that there's a lot of kids, um, my age that, um, they were into sports, you know, they went to Disneyland for holidays and that wasn't my reality. My reality is that I wandered the mountainsides with my dog and with books. And I, I was a constant reader. That's what I had. I didn't have video game consoles, right? I didn't, I didn't have a big TV with movies. I had books. And so from a very young age, I was a reader. And, um, and so I read at that particular time, even as a young kid, nine, 10 years old, 11 years old, I was reading the books of philosophy, Plato, Aristotle, um, Confucius, uh, Marcus Aurelius was a favorite of mine at the time. I was really, as a kid, I was, I was searching for the answer to why. You know, I, I think that's the most fundamental question for every human. You know, we look at the world around us, we look at our own selves, we look at our families, and we ask the question, why? And in my case, I was asking the question, why is it that my family is so different than, than other families? Why is it that um, even, the, even the kids in my school who seem to come from wealthy families, why are they so unhappy? Um, I remember my dad and I, when, when the first Iraq war happened, and um, I remember we were sitting around the kitchen table with a radio. And 
throughout the evening, we would listen to the broadcasts as to what was taking place. And I remember asking the question, why? And so from a very young age, that was, um, that's what I had. And I had the, philo- the the books of philosophy that, you know, were, were kind of shaping my view of the world at the particular time. And, and so from a very young age, I was asking the question why, and I was looking for the answer in philosophy. And um, I didn't find the answer in philosophy. In fact, I think that oftentimes philosophy raises more questions than it answers. I tell you. <laughs> um, yeah. And so as I, as I grew up and I got older, then I got really into psychology. You know, for a while, I was really into Sigmund Freud. He's got some fascinating work on the development of personality. And of course, Freud is associated with concepts like the id and the ego and the superego and all of these concepts that he had. And I I have to say all my years, even though I still love psychology, I didn't find the answer in psychology. Psychology does not answer the question why. And then I then I turned my focus to neuroscience. Neuroscience is a fascinating study, you know, the, how the brain works. And um, the brain is a fascinating uh, part of who we are. Its ability to change uh, shape, literally change shape uh, due to trauma or due to self-discipline. Um, the, the powerful effects of us of brain chemicals, you know, dopamine, serotonin, um, many other chemicals, adrenaline, uh, things that greatly affect us. But once again, I didn't, you don't find the answer to the question of why in neuroscience. And so I often will say this, that my journey, you know, from, from poverty and asking that question, why as a young kid to where I am today, that journey um, led me through philosophy, through psychology, through neuroscience, and ultimately to faith, Um, to an understanding of, of what it means to be human. See, I think when we look across the world today, whether it's America or Canada or South Africa or Asia or wherever it is in the world, um, people have forgotten what it means to be human. We've forgotten um, the basic, the basic premise that all throughout human history we've known, but throughout history we've gotten further and further away from the truth of the reality, and that is this: that more than a brain or a body. We are souls. Yeah. Now, definitely we have bodies that have needs. Definitely we have brains that have needs. But more than any of that, what truly defines me, what truly defines you, Elisha, is not your body. It's not your brain. It's your soul. And um, as humans, we have forgotten what it means to be human. We've forgotten that reality about ourselves. And so that's why I ultimately believe if you want to find the question to why, um, you can't. You won't find it in philosophy. You won't find it in psychology. You won't find it in neuroscience. You're going to find it in faith. You're going to find it in in becoming aware of who you truly are and what it truly means to be human. And that's true on every continent, for every generation, for every gender. That's so true. I tell you, you know, oftentimes most people in the world actually think that um, their real self is their body, and that's a lie. That's a big lie. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let us get into the questions, all right? Um, the very first one. Um, okay, let's say someone asks you, Hey, Curry, how can I understand the human behavior? I just don't mm-hmm. know, but how can that be possible? How to understand the human behavior? What would your response be? Yeah. Well, I guess I would, I would first want to unpack 
what I already mentioned, you're not going to discover it in biology, looking at the human body, right? Or psychology, looking at the human brain. You're going to find the, the secret to human behavior by understanding the soul. Or what, you know, oftentimes I will, I will, I will um, talk about the soul as our non-biological selves, the deepest part of who we are, the seat of our personality, the seat of our ambition. And so if we want to understand human behavior, we have to understand, first off, that we have souls and that, th that those souls are looking for something. You know, just as your body craves food and water to stay alive. I mean, just think of that for a second. So we, we are in this like fleshly body. We have these bodies. Think of the, think of thirst, you know, that craving for water. If we didn't, if we didn't have, if we didn't have that craving, that thirst craving, we would forget to drink water, yeah. right? Because there'd be nothing prompting us, go drink water. And we'd be dead in four days <laughs> because our bodies need it, right? So the craving we have for water actually propels us towards actually drinking water right? Yeah. Same thing with food, right? My hunger for food reminds me, oh, go eat food so that you can stay nourished and you can keep your energy up. Um, our brains are the same way, right? Our brains have a craving for information um, that helps us keep sharp, that helps us keep alert. But our souls have cravings as well. And if we want to understand human behavior, we have to understand the cravings of our soul. And so I've written a book called The Magnetic Heart of God, Understanding the Five Cravings of Your Soul. And in this book, I really unpack these five cravings that are, I believe, have propelled every human being through life and time. Again, on every continent, every generation, every gender, every nationality, all of humanity is united with these same five cravings of the soul. Again, these aren't psychological cravings. These aren't just biological cravings. These are deeper cravings. And, and if we want to understand human behavior, we have to be able to look at each other and understand this person standing in front of me is not just a biological creature. They are a spiritual creature. Yeah. And if I, if I want to understand their behavior, I need to understand that truth about them. Um, I need to understand that the reason that they are acting out is because they're not getting, their soul isn't getting the nourishment that it's craving. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and when I have that understanding of people, it really allows me to love them. It allows me to have patience with them because suddenly I don't just see a disagreeable person in front of me. I see someone with the same cravings as I have, those cravings of the soul. And, um, and so that is the key. Understanding human behavior is not a, a physical understanding. It's not a psychological understanding. And it's a spiritual understanding. And when we grasp that, it allows us to see each other more clearly. True. Very correct. Okay. The second question. Okay. Let's say someone said, um, okay, Curry be mentioning that we've got souls. Okay. Can you give me a proof, Curry, that we do have souls? Let's yeah. say someone asked you that question. Yeah. What would your response yeah. be? Yeah. You know, I get that question a lot. You know, I, I speak to a lot of people. Um, I speak to people of faith. I speak to psychologists and neuroscientists and metaphysicists. And I, I speak to people of all different backgrounds. And and that is a, a common question. What proof do we have that we have souls? And oftentimes, the first thing I will say is you are your own best evidence that you have a soul. And that is, I say, we all intuitively know 
that we exist beyond biology. We all intuitively know that that this body of mine isn't all that I am. It's a, it's a shell. It's an encasement of who I truly am. We have this we have this knowledge inside of us, and and not only do we have um, this knowledge inside of us, but just look at um, look at human history. Every culture that we know, every culture in the history of the world came to the same conclusion. I, I call this um, the unanimous, uncoerced conclusion. And that is to say, like every culture came to the same conclusion. So as an example, the Europeans, when they came to North America, they brought re a religion, but they did not bring an awareness of the soul. They, they came to a people who already had an awareness of their own soul. You know, when the Romans, you know, way back in ancient history, when they landed their legions north of the White Cliffs of Dover, you know, in, in England, they brought with them, again, their religion, but they landed on a, a, uh, an island that already had an awareness of the soul, right? Long before Africa was ever subject to any kind of outside conquest or influence, every, every country, every tribe, every location had come to the awareness of the soul. And so when you, when you look at the world and you look at the religions, like people will often ask, you know, why are there so many relig religions around the world? Well, all these religions around the world were birthed out of each culture trying to explain or put a framework around what they already knew about themselves. We know that we exist beyond biology. When, I don't know if you've ever been unfortunate enough, but um, to see um, someone pass away or die, or come across, you know, uh, someone who has has died. It is very clear when you see them that it's not like just a, a switch flipped off and they suddenly stopped existing. It's clear that something's gone. Yeah. That who they were isn't the same. You, you can tell that something has drastic has changed. You're looking at a shell, yeah. right? We have this awareness. I mean, and to, again, that's an, that's as scientific a fact as you can get that every culture without coercion, came to the same conclusion. You know, I, I will often say this. If I'm sitting in my living room and my son comes in and he says, Dad, did you hear that really loud bang? And I'm like, I, I didn't hear the bang. And I'm wondering if he heard things. And I'm wondering, you know, but then all of a sudden my phone rings and the neighbor says, hey, did you hear that bang? I'm like, oh, interesting. My son said there was a bang. My neighbor who wasn't close by said there was a bang. Maybe there was a bang, right? And then there's a knock on the door and another neighbor from the other side says, hey, did you hear that bang? I'll be like, wow, I didn't hear it. But clearly there was a bang because there's all these independent testimonies that heard it, right? And they weren't together at the same time. They didn't collude with the information. You know, you take that and multiply it by thousands of times. Every culture came to the same conclusion that we exist beyond biology. It is a scientific, a scientific fact as there is that we have souls. We intuitively know it. And the very mathematical fact that every culture reached that same conclusion is indisputable evidence. That's so correct. Okay. The um, second to the last question. Why is the world falling apart? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it comes back once again to the soul. Think about this for a moment. So okay. I, will say this, I will say this for North America and for much of the world. We live in a time globally um, of unprecedented prosperity. Unprecedented. 
That is to say, never before in the history of mankind has a generation such as the generations that are alive today been granted such unfettered access to uh, wealth opportunities, um, to travel, world travel, to comfort, to leisure, to education, to entertainment. I mean, even on our iPhones, the you know our our our, our smartphones nowadays, the access that we have to world and enter like I said entertainment and education and and uh, communication never before has a generation been given so much as our generations today and yet virtually every study shows that we are more unhappy than ever it's fascinating when you think that we are richer than any other culture any other generation in the history of mankind and yet we are unhappier than any generation and i believe the answer is because the, the why the world is falling apart in this way is because we've forgotten who we are. We are obsessed with catering to the cravings of my body, right? The cravings of the mind, and we've but we've forgotten about our souls. We've forgotten who we are. And so while our bodies are often well fed and our minds are highly stimulated, our souls are starving to death. Our the core of who we are is starving to death. And I believe that's why, again, we see worldwide depression, discouragement, uh, negativity about the future. And I can tell you that in, in, in North America, under the surface, I don't know what it's like in Africa, but underneath the, underneath the surface, there is this building rage. People are resentful. People are upset. And I think the reason for it is this. We've been told, essentially for thousands of years... We've been told that if we would just reach the top of that intellectual mountain, right? If we would just get the education we need, that we would have peace. Or we've been told if we just get to the top of that sexual mountain, that we'll have peace. We've been told if we get to the top you know, of that financial mountain, if we just get accumulate enough wealth and property, that we'll have peace. And ours is the generation who is, in often many cases, has reached the summit of the mountain. And we've found that there's nothing there. It doesn't, wealth doesn't bring us peace. Sex doesn't bring us peace. Um, power doesn't bring us peace. Um, we, could go, we could go on and on. And so ours is a generation that has reached that summit. And we've found out there's nothing there. And because of that, the general person alive today is unhappy insecure, uncertain, confused, uh, because we've been looking for peace in all the wrong places. We've been looking for peace in satisfying this fleshly body. We've been looking for peace in, you know, in satisfying this eager mind. When if you truly want to have peace, you have to find peace in the soul. That's where you have to look for peace. And that's why the world's falling apart, because as a general rule, we don't do that. Most of us spend our days trying to satisfy the cravings of our body and our brain. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> You're such um, a knowledgeable man. I've got to say that. I must mm. confess. And that's okay. Oh, glory to God. <laughs> okay. Oh, thank you, sir. I so, appreciate that. So, uh, yeah. So, um, about your book, The Magnetic mm. Art of God, how is it available already or... Let's talk about it. Is it is available now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's so available. Can, um, get it. Yeah. The, the, the simplest way would be if you, um, 
Well, if you go to my website, CoreyRozinki.com, that's kind of the centralized location where you can learn about me. Um, you can l- gather some more resources about me. You can even contact me through my website. And it also gives a few links to the book. But the book is available um, on rollout. It actually came available in North America in back in December. Um, it came available in um, in England at the end of December. It's a good question. I'm not sure. It might be available now or it might be pre-order um, in in Africa. I'm not sure exactly what where the rollout is right now, but it is definitely available for order. Um, it's available on Amazon. It's available basically on any place books are sold. So if, if someone has internet access and they just type in the magnetic heart of God, the book will pop up at a store near them. All right. That's so good. So it has been a great moment with you, Curry, and I'm so glad that um our path crossed that's so good so in conclusion what would you like to say to anyone what would you like to say to the audience in conclusion i guess i would just want to remind your audience of this that the reflection looking back at you in the mirror um it's not who you are the the money in your bank account is not who you are the, the number on the weigh scale is not who you are. The diploma on your wall is not who you are. More than a brain or a body, you are a soul. And when you, when we truly embrace that realization, it changes the way we view the world. It changes the way we view each other. It changes the way we view ourselves. And ultimately, it changes everything. So I would just want to remind your audience um, that there is, a, I don't want to call it a lie. But there is definitely a misconception out there that if you can just satisfy this body or if you can just satisfy this brain that you'll be happy, you won't. You know, it's it's interesting. I saw an interview with Elon Musk. I don't know if you know who Elon Musk is. He's the richest man in the world. In fact, he's the richest man probably in the history of mankind. And I saw an interview with Elon Musk um, a few months ago. And the interviewer asked him, "Um, are you happy? To the richest man in the world, there's nothing that Elon Musk cannot have on this earth if he wants it. And he sat there for a second quiet. And then he said, I don't think many people would want to be me. Just think of that. The richest man who ever existed struggles with finding happiness. Why? Unfortunately, it's because Elon is looking for happiness in all the wrong places. Yeah, yeah. The same is true. There's a there's a Canadian comedian named Jim Carrey. He's made a bunch of silly movies, um, but he's super famous, super wealthy. Um, I heard a, I saw an interview with him a while ago, and he said he said I wish that everybody could experience fame and riches, so that they would realize that that's not the answer. Hmm. Once again, we have a guy that's hugely famous, hugely wealthy, um, and he's saying happiness isn't found here. And that's those aren't exceptions to the rule. That's the rule. It is, it is a fact throughout time. It doesn't matter how much money you get. You're either going to be stressed because you're trying to protect it or you're just going to be coveting more and more will never be enough, right? Um, and so I would just remind your listeners of that one simple fact. If you want to find happiness, the answer isn't in philosophy or psychology or neuroscience or, or wealth or power or control or in a new car or in a new house. You're going to find the answer by exploring the cravings of your soul and finding out that you 
are connected with the maker of the universe. And if you truly want to find peace and happiness, you're going to have to strengthen that connection. Oh, that's really deep, I tell you. <laughs> so that's going to be the end of the show. Thank you so very much, Kerry. Thank you for honoring the Hinbat. It means a whole lot. Thank you. Elijah, thank you for your time. Thank you for tuning in to this incredible episode. Your support means the world to us, and we truly value you. We look forward to having you join us for the next episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, please consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Your feedback is greatly appreciated.